Thank you for joining us for this podcast from College Church of the Nazarene, University Avenue. The following was recorded live on location in Bourbonnais, Illinois. I'm going to start the, uh, the message this morning by saying uh, Jesus could be so aggravating at times. And I'm not sure you should start a message with that sentence, and I'm kind of second-guessing it now, but it seemed pretty right to say when I was preparing it. I think it's true. Jesus could be so aggravating sometimes. And, uh, but I'm not sure that aggravating is the right word. Um, because you don't crucify someone who is simply aggravating. So maybe challenging or maybe oppositional would be a better word. Maybe iconoclastic for sure. Maybe subversive or disruptive or provoking or unsettling or disturbing or upsetting. I mean, he was all of those things the week of his crucifixion. And those of us who know Jesus, I think we know this to be true personally. He can be so, can I say it, aggravating, disruptive, provoking, subversive, unsettling. Well, whatever word works, he could be so it. For example, so what word would you use to describe Jesus entering Jerusalem as the long-awaited Messiah promised by Zechariah? What word would you use to describe that prophetic revelation? Provoking, for sure. Challenging, of course. Disruptive? Yeah, it was pretty disruptive. And subversive? For sure, subversive. And what word would you use to describe what Jesus did in the temple, overturning tables and driving out religious officials and sacrificial animals with the whip he made? What word would you use there? Maybe some new ones. Irreverent? Disrespectful? Dishonoring? Or was it the height of reverence? Was it the height of honor? Was it the most respectful? I mean, it was subversive for sure. It was clearly disruptive, and it was literally upsetting. So what word would you use to describe Jesus cursing a fig tree for not producing fruit and causing it to wither? Frightening? Unsettling? Discomforting? And what words would you use or word to describe Jesus' teaching the week of his crucifixion, which was clearly directed to the religious elite, the keepers of the faith, the ones charged with stewarding the truth of God? I mean, in quick succession, Jesus likened them to a son who only gave lip service to the father, but never really did what the father asked, even though the son said he would. And then he likened them to tenants in a vineyard who refused to recognize the authority of the son to receive the fruit of the vineyard and went so far as even killing the son. And then Jesus likened them to ungrateful friends of a king who refused the invitation of the king to the king's son wedding banquet. And as a consequence, were nothing less than destroyed by the enraged king, said Jesus in the parable. I mean, what word or words would you use to describe Jesus' teaching just the first two days of the week of Jesus' crucifixion. Aggravating? 
hardly, infuriating maybe, provoking for sure, confrontational, yes, maybe even careless or risky or courageous or convictional. Well, and as we know, the religious authorities were not going to take Jesus indicting parables laying down, so they started challenging him. They engaged him in contentious theological debate. They were going to get him to say something that would be self-incriminating and give them cause to do what they had already decided they needed to do, which was get rid of this provocative, subversive, disruptive threat. And then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words, Matthew tells us. The first question they asked him from the Pharisees and the Herodians, tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Yeah, no, Jesus wasn't going to play. He responded, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's, forever establishing the priority of his followers' lives. And they couldn't really argue with that. It made them look petty. So the second question from the Sadducees this time, who didn't believe that there was life after death, they tried to point out the absurdity of heaven. And so they asked, whose wife will a woman who's been married seven times, whose wife will she be in heaven? They got him. I mean, heaven couldn't be revealed as more absurd than that question. And Jesus replied, your mistake, you're wrong, is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God, said Jesus to the experts in the law. In other words, the reason you're asking the question is because you don't know the Bible and you don't know God. Well, what word would you use to describe that? So after summarily dismissing the question... I mean, there's not going to be a problem because we're not going to be marrying in heaven. If you knew the scriptures, you would know that. He addressed a real question, the primary question about whether or not there was a heaven. And he did it by quoting the Bible. Of course he did. Which he had just said they didn't know. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. In other words, if God is the God of the living and not the dead, and if God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still living. Yes, there is a resurrection, which the Bible clearly said, and which Jesus would prove the first day of the very next week. What word would you use to describe that response? So then the Sadducees passed the ball back to the Pharisees. And the third question they asked is the one we read this morning. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together against him. And one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? I want to say, I want to say, of all the questions that were asked Jesus that day, that was probably the best. For earnest religious folk, it could be an honest question, a sincere question. But of course, the Pharisees weren't sincere. They were desperately hoping to catch Jesus in some heresy because the greatest commandment was kind of obvious. Jesus, in response to their question, simply quoted Deuteronomy 6.5, which we read this morning twice, once in Deuteronomy and once in Matthew. Hear, O Israel, 
The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, said Jesus. And that was the right answer. Everybody knew it. It's called the Shema, which is the Hebrew word for hear, which is what began the commandment. And the Jewish people were required to begin their day and end their day reciting it, confessing it. It is the central affirmation of Judaism. It was and is the Jewish confession of faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. So that was the right answer to the question, and everybody knew it. But of course, Jesus didn't stop there. I mean, he could have, but he didn't. He added this, and the second is like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. So they asked for one commandment, and they got two. Now we should know that the second one was also in the Bible. Jesus, again, simply quoted scripture to those Bible scholars. And the scripture he quoted was Leviticus 19.18, which is a reiteration and an application of the Ten Commandments. And this is what Leviticus 19.18 says. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself, said the law. I am the Lord. And when I am the Lord appears in this text, it is listen up. It is I'm talking. The Lord is saying this. That's what Jesus quoted. Do not seek revenge in the second part. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. So the Pharisees asked for one commandment, and they got two. They got Deuteronomy 6.5, and they got Leviticus 19.18. But that wasn't even original with Jesus. This putting together those two texts, Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18, that was usual. When Jesus was asked a similar question by a religious lawyer recorded in Luke's gospel, this is how it went. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? And the expert in the law answered this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. To which Jesus replied, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So putting both Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18 together wasn't uncommon. There's a long tradition of placing these two commandments together as this expert in the law did when Jesus asked him in Luke's gospel. So, so far, Jesus has just answered correctly. Well, granted, they asked Jesus for one commandment. They got two. Okay, fine. But the two they got, even, even getting two, they could have expected that because that was usual. And now I'm coming to the reason I began this message with the understatement Jesus could be so aggravating at times. And it's not because he answered the question about the greatest commandment by giving them two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
with all your mind. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love those around you. Love the ones close to you. Love the ones near you. Love the ones you run into contact with. Love your neighbor as yourself. As I said, that could have been expected. That's not what was aggravating. No, what was aggravating and innovative and subversive and surprising was how Jesus linked those two commandments. This is what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the new, the innovative, the provocative, the challenging, the subversive, the unsettling, the disturbing, the upsetting, the aggravating was in how Jesus understood these two commandments in relationship to each other. Because Jesus just didn't quote the two one after another as the expert in the law did in Luke's gospel. No, Jesus said this, and the second is like the first. Now, we can read that seven-word phrase in here. The second commandment is pretty close to the first one. We can read that seven-word phrase in here. The second commandment is a close second. We can hear that seven-word phrase in here. They're both really important. But that's not exactly what Jesus said. It would be more accurate to hear in that seven-word phrase... And the second commandment is the same as the first. It would be more accurate to hear the second commandment to love others is no different than the first commandment to love God. Because the Greek word used there that is translated like means the same as. The second commandment is the same as the first. You see what Jesus was saying, and I'm granting this would not be a very readable translation, but what Jesus was saying, which is a new way of understanding the relationship between these two commandments, was that there is a functional equivalence between loving God and loving others. Again, not a very readable translation, but that's what Jesus was doing here. What's the greatest commandment? Love God that is every, with everything that is in you and love your neighbor as yourself and there's not a distinction between the two. Loving God is the same as loving others, said Jesus. If you love God, you'll love others. And he was also saying the only way you can truly love others is if you love God. So Jesus was calling into question with his answer as to what the greatest single commandment was. Jesus was calling into question their love for God if they didn't love others. Because as far as Jesus was concerned, to love God is to love others. And if there's no love for others, there's no love for God. 
The love we have for God is no greater than the love we have for others. So as it turns out, Jesus didn't answer their question about the greatest commandment by giving them two commandments. It turns out that Jesus answered the question about the greatest commandment by giving them one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the second is the same as the first. If you love God, you'll love others. The only way you can love others is if you love God. But Jesus wasn't done even then. He added this. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments, which he had just said were one. Meaning, the only single commandment we have to really ever worry about is the commandment to love God and others the same. Folks, that's the ethic of the Christian faith. Love others as you love God. Love God as you love others. And every question regarding how we are to be is answered with the greatest commandment. Love others as you love God and love God as you love others. And can I say what is obvious in a world of obvious hate or indifference, there would be no greater revelation of the living Christ than his people loving God and loving others the same. So how do we live as followers of Jesus? We do what love commands. We love God and we love others. Period. True story, I tell you a true story. As you might imagine, this is not the first time I've preached from or even researched this text. It's a pretty important one in our Bibles. Believe it or not, I remember the first time I did serious research on this text. I was in seminary taking a New Testament course which we had to exegete, which we had to do research on. And I don't know if I selected the passage or if it was assigned to me, but I did my research on and turned my paper in and was pretty proud of my work on these two greatest commandments. And I don't remember my grade, but I, but I think I remember it wasn't an A, which I was a bit surprised at. And the only comment on the paper that I remember from Dr. Richard Taylor, who was an outstanding New Testament scholar, the only comment on the paper which indicated the reason the grade wasn't an A was this question, are you sure that these are two separate commands? It turns out Jesus didn't answer the Pharisees' question about the greatest commandment by giving them two. It turns out that Jesus answered the question about the greatest commandment by giving them one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And the second is the same as the first. 
folks. If you love God, you'll love others. If you don't love God, you won't. And if you don't love others, you don't love God. But if you love others, you do. Jesus can be so, what's the word, aggravating, provoking, challenging, subversive, upsetting, disturbing. How about convicting? How about convicting? Folks, if we love God, we love others. If we don't love God, we won't and we can't. If we don't love others, we don't love God. But if we love others, we do. Chris Jesus said it another way at another time when he said, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. In a culture that sanctifies hatred, in a culture that commends indifference, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul all your mind with everything that is in you the second is exactly like the first love your neighbor as yourself folks we do what love commands I'll ask but I know the answer have I spoken the truth this morning and so we get to come to our Lord who has, who has revealed the nature of love in his sacrifice. Who has revealed the essence of love in the pouring out of his life for us. Who has revealed the seeking, searching nature of love. Who reveals the I'm never going to give up on you nature of love. We get to sit at the table and we get to receive the evidence of his love for us. Oh, may it be effective. May it be transforming. And as you receive the sacrament, maybe, maybe you need to pray, Lord, help me to love you with everything that is in me. Help me to love you better. Help me to love you with all my heart and with all my soul and with all my mind. Maybe that would be your prayer. Maybe your prayer alongside that one, which would be very, would be similar. Maybe your prayer is, oh Lord, give me your love for my neighbor. Help me to love as you love. Would you share the sacrament with each other this morning? Would you...
All are welcome to receive it. You don't have to be a member of the Nazarene Church to be to participate, to sit at the table. We ask that you do confess Jesus Christ as Lord. This is a table for his disciples. And maybe this morning um, you want to come to the table for the first time and confess his lordship. You may do that today, but all are welcome to receive who confess Jesus as Lord. And you know the story on the night in which Jesus gave himself up for us. On the night in which Jesus gave himself up for us, he took bread, he gave thanks. He broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, Jesus took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to his disciples and he said, drink from this all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you. Poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, we are in debt to you. If it were not for your love for us, Lord, we, we would be so lost. We would be so alone. But Lord, you have, you have given us your love, not to be held, not to be contained, but to share. Lord, would you give us love for you that is complete and full, would you give us devotion to you that could be described as with everything that is in us? May we love you, Lord, as you have loved us. And Lord, would you grant us the love for others that you have for us? I mean, you preached good news to the poor. You proclaimed liberty to captives. You helped sight recover mind, recover their sight. You, you set at liberty those who were oppressed. Lord, you healed the sick. You fed the hungry. You ate with sinners. Would you do the same today? Would you do so for us today? Lord, we offer ourselves to you in this sacrament, in praise and thanksgiving, as a holy and living sacrifice. Oh, Lord, help us to proclaim the faith. the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was broken for you, may it preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Take and eat this in remembrance that Christ's body was broken for you. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you, may it preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Take and drink this in remembrance that Christ died for you, and let us be grateful. You've been listening to a podcast from College Church of the Nazarene, University Avenue. If you care to join us for worship, we meet each Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. at 200 University Avenue in Bourbonnais, Illinois. We also offer a full range of activities, 
classes, small group meetings, and events throughout the week. For a complete list of what's going on at College Church or for more information on how you can get involved, please go to www.collegechurch.org.